Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Andy. And before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about RebateJet.com. What is RebateJet? Well, it's a piece of software that I created that will help Amazon sellers get their products noticed. You can launch with promo codes, rebates. Not only that, but you can list your product for free on the RebateJet third-party marketplace. You don't pay a single penny unless you make a sale. And when you do, it's only a $1 flat fee per product. Try it today, RebateJet.com. Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. What's up, everybody? I'm hanging out here with my friend Dylan Carter. We haven't hung out in a while, and Dylan's been working on some crazy stuff, so I'm excited about that. I'm super tired today. I don't know why, um, but I'm drinking coffee this afternoon to try to stay awake. Um, right. Me too. <laughs> are you really? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, we get these triple shot La Colum coffees and they're delicious. They really, and they're small, but it's, it's supposed to be like three. Is that like a local brand? You're in Florida now, right? No, no. So, so we're in Boston. Boston um, no, sorry. it's a pretty big, I mean, there's a, there's, they're not like super out there, but they have a few cafes here, but uh, yeah, you can get them in most grocery stores now. Um, they are insane. Like I just got another shipment of three boxes of 24 because we go through them. So, so frequently. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. So you're, really way, you're way past the, um, the, yeah, the single cup. The yeah. <laughs> for me, I can't have yeah. more than like two cups a day. Two cups is like my max. Yeah. So I've got my seller meetup cup that says, being a CEO is easy. It's like riding a bike, except the bike is on fire. You're on fire. Everything is on fire. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> that was what we gave it's all of so our accurate. at Seller Meetup as a as Oh, a that's gift. so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I got 45 minutes of sleep last night, if I'm being honest. So <laughs> I'm like nice and wired up. Yeah. It was a weird night. Like went to bed. Uh, you know, we so we we pushed out some something new last night, and we were up pretty late. And so by the time I got home, you know, took a hot bath, started to relax. I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm sleepy now. And uh, I had this habit of laying on an acupuncture mat while watching Star Trek: Next Generation to fall asleep. It's like it's a beautiful mixture. And uh, laid there and just laid there for like seven hours. Oh, and then my alarm no. went off. I was like, this is terrible, <laughs> but oh, it no. happens. Not frequently, but it does. So yeah, it's all good. So I'm doing this thing lately because I was not getting a lot of sleep either. And I was just, Mm -hmm. my routine was just sucking. Like I wasn't taking good (laughs) care of myself and, you know, it just, we, we get out of a good routine sometimes. And, um, and so I was like getting up in the morning and I'd be like right on Facebook on my phone. And I was just like, not taking, again, not taking care of myself, whatever. So my husband, Rashid and I, we came up with this strategy because we wanted to also show our kids that, you know, it's before we mindlessly escape into video games or, um, or yeah. apps or whatever, we wanted to, um, make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, our environment totally. and our mental health, um, and our commitment. So those are the four things. So mental health is number one. So we read okay. or do like prayer meditation. Yeah. Then, um, the second thing is self-care. So exercise, taking care of your body, all that kind of stuff. And your, your hygiene, all yeah. the stuff <laughs> that kids sometimes need a reminder on yes. and us adults sometimes need a reminder. <laughs> 
not strong of a reminder when it comes to the BO department, but, (laughs) (laughs) but our kids, you know, need that. And then um, our number three thing that we're doing is um, taking care of our environment, taking care of the things Mm. around us, making sure sure that where we are is nice. And then finally our commitments. And once we're done with all of those things, then we're allowed to like mindlessly escape into video games or Netflix or whatever. But it's been tough. It's been like (laughs) every time I want to get on Facebook or on social or whatever and just get that quick dopamine fix or TikTok, I'm like, okay, crap. I got to take care of myself (laughs) first. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you mentioned that. So so I I struggle with that as well. I do active recovery protocols and each person has their own thing. So I have one in the morning, which I call like my power hour kind of thing. And so it's, it's a cold shower. I meditate for 15 minutes and then I do uh, the five minute journal. I do, I do the app actually. So I'm doing a bit of gratitude and I'm just kind of like preparing myself for the day from like a, a uh, what's the term? Um, can't think of the term now. Hence lack of sleep. Either so way. Basically before you're letting outside <laughs> influences into your Yeah. Mind, before you like get stressed, right? Someone else's feed. You're yeah. like t- putting things into perspective. From exactly. Your and I've deleted Facebook. I've deleted Instagram. Haven't jumped on TikTok, So I have no social media apps outside of Pinterest on my phone. Um, and then midday I do another active recovery protocol protocol. Typically I'll do like box breathing. I'll do uh, another 15 minute meditation session. It's basically like, you know, as you come into the day, you have a ton of energy and then it just hardcore depletes. And then you need to replenish it, especially like with what we're doing, we're moving so fast right now. And I'm managing so many different things that, you know, it's, it's draining at times, right? Just because there's so much volume of it and it's never ending that I'll take a midday, I'll eat and I'll go do this. And then in the evenings, I have like a power down ritual kind of thing where like the whole next day planned out all my tasks or on my calendar, like even broke so it down. Right? Staying up all night thinking about it. Correct. Right? Yeah. Like you're like, that's in the plan. I'm fine. I can worry exactly. about that tomorrow. I'm going to bed and just go to bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which it. did not happen last night, but that's okay. Well, I suppose we should kick on off this podcast. Yeah. If you guys want to join us. We're going to actually talk today about um, a, a lot of fun stuff. We're going to talk about pricing because Dylan created a repricing app, which is cool, but and, and pricing has changed. And so is reselling on Amazon um, lately. So that's cool. But Dylan's also working on helping people sell their products B2B wholesale. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and that's one of you know the topics that's near and dear to my heart as well. So I love that we get to nerd out about that today. If you guys want to join us in the Zoom, I'm here with Carmel, Scott, and Vlad, um, as well as Dylan. And, um, and you guys can join us at sellerroundtable.com forward slash live. We're here hanging out and I'm going to hit the recording button and we're going to get this party started. Are we ready? Nice. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Game face, game face. Hey, what's up everybody? This is Amy Weiss here and my buddy Andy Arnott is not here today. He has a sick kid. So, you know, he's excused today. There's a lot of sickness going around lately, but we're here with our friend Dylan Carter, and we are on episode 138 of the Seller Roundtable. I'm so excited to talk to our old friend Dylan again and find out what he's been up to and what's going on in his world, and there's some really exciting 
things. Um, so we're going to talk today with Dylan about pricing, like pricing is a thing, right? We've noticed it on the private label side. We've noticed it on the reselling side. So we're definitely going to talk about some pricing trends today. We're also going to talk about setting up B2B channels, wholesale channels for your private label products. Um, Dylan's working on a special project there. So stay tuned. Let's get into it. Welcome, Dylan. Please tell us a little bit about you for the folks sure. who don't know who you are. Yeah, that was a lot of buildup. I like it. Um, <laughs> we'll see if I can live up to it. Um, yeah, a bit about myself. Um, so was an Amazon seller for a number of years. Like most Amazon sellers, I started with RA just to kind of test the waters, right? Um, I, I kind of wanted to just prove that it was real because I'm like, yeah, I heard it on a podcast. Uh, we'll see. And proved it was real. I was like, all right, this is cool. Um, at the time, I was a, a full-time personal trainer. And I would spend every free hour I could sourcing. And that was fun. But I got to a point where um, with the personal training side, I, I decided to move away from that. Um, one, it just, for me, my life always comes down to scalability, right? So it's hard to scale your time. And I, I had this weird conundrum where I built relationships with my clients, but the only way to make more money was to charge them more money. <laughs> and that wasn't really a route I cared to go. It just felt kind of conflicting. And so I was like, you know what? I want to find something a little bit more scalable and physical products was that thing. And so I quit that you know, tripled down on retail arbitrage and then just spent 10 hours a day sourcing, then quickly realized, okay, it's still my time, right? Like <laughs> I might be able to get sales in my sleep, but I'm still having to spend 10 hours a day sourcing. And it, you know, it wasn't a whole lot less hours that I was working compared to being a personal trainer. So I was like, what's the next most scalable thing? Well, in my mind, it was online arbitrage, right? I can do it from my home <laughs> and like, I don't have to jump around and you know, it's easier to buy and, and then ship to, you know, my house and deal with everything. So it went that route and it was interesting. You know, I wasn't that great at online arbitrage, if I'm being honest. Um, and then hit a fork in the road, a major win. First, first one um, in, in this story where I was like, okay, this is cool, but it's not something that I think I could grow into like a sustainable, great business. So I need to figure out what I want to do business model wise. And so I thought, okay, I got wholesale or I got private label. For me at the time, private label was, you know, going to cost a lot more money than I had available and it was going to test, right? It's like, I realistically had one at bat and I was like, listen, I'm paying the bills with RA right now and, you know, not living lavishly. So one at bat doesn't work for me. I need multiple. And so that's when I started to consider wholesale and I realized with wholesale, I could cash flow more quickly, right? So I could, I could be paying myself actual money in the salary within 30, 60, 90 days, right? Depending on, on how quickly I could figure it out. And so I set a rule for myself. I said, I'm not allowed to buy inventory, even if it's profitable, unless it's wholesale, you got to figure it out, burn the bridge. And that's what I did. Um, and, you know, struggled for three to four months. <laughs> it was really tough. And eventually I did figure it out and grew that business where I was self-sustaining, you know, it wasn't lavish life, but, you know, I would, at that point decided to go back to college full-time as well. I had left a toxic relationship and was like, I got to work on me, you know? <laughs> so I went back to school uh, full-time actually as a finance major um, at UNF, uh, did that full-time while running the Amazon business. And it was great. Life was awesome. And then I was talking with as many seven-figure wholesale Amazon sellers that I could find. And I was like, hey, I'll pay you for your time. It's all good. And only one of them responded back. And that was my now co-founder, James. He's like, hey, don't worry about it. Let's just jump on and, and chat. I was like, all right, sounds good. 
So we started to meet once a week, just holding each other accountable, kind of like a mastermind, right? Just, just him and I. And eventually I found out he actually had a uh, degree in computer science. He was a full-time college student as well. Um, and so he kind of teased the idea of software. I'm like, that sounds interesting. You know, we'll, we'll see here. And he had built out vendrivecrm.com already. And it was cool because, you know, independently we had built our own systems for managing how we find suppliers, you know, using spreadsheets, Trello for me. And he basically built a web application that did that, but pulled in ASIN information, which was fantastic. And so we joined forces. We actually met on Instagram, which is funny. We worked together for a year and a half on the business before meeting in person. Um, and we learned a lot. We built a Facebook group. We taught, uh, we, we, we used to teach wholesale sourcing live for free every Tuesday. I mean, for two, two plus years, I think. So we, we built up a nice audience. We, we had learned a lot. We failed tremendously on the software side because we had no idea what the heck we were doing with FinDrive CRM. It still exists, which is cool. You know, we stopped paying customers there, but uh, we decided we wanted to kind of up the ante. We wanted to take on a larger challenge and that challenge ended up becoming repricing. We realized, you know, the area that needed a little bit more innovation um, and could be done better and was within the wheelhouse that we were capable of achieving was repricing. And that's when we started working on Aura. So James pretty much locked himself away. That's actually him right, right back there. Um, <laughs> locked himself in a room for 80 hours a week for eight or nine months and built out the entire thing himself. Like I'm, I'm not an engineer, so I couldn't help, <laughs> but we, you know, I flew out to his college between uh, semesters on winter break and we launched Aura together. And then I flew back and went back to, to classes. And uh, yeah, so we, we, that took off. We've been growing that like crazy. Now we're a team of six. We got to have our own office in Boston, you know, so we're all co-located here. Um, and we've got some stealth stuff, I, I guess you can call it, that we're uh, about to launch. So it's been a lot. It's been a lot. I love it. So you're right down the road from Take a Metrics, and um, so they're our... two blocks from my apartment, actually. Oh my gosh! What about <laughs> I walk by their office? Chris, um, we have you. I don't know. You haven't met. I need our an intro. E-commerce, Chris. <laughs> I don't think so. We, I might Chris McKay, intro. He, um, he does a conference called Seller Velocity um, okay. and his that company is e-commerce Chris and he is a former Amazonian and so he um, has a lot of connections and he helps sellers with um, reinstatement, suspensions, okay. that kinds of things, sure. um, account management, that kind of stuff. And um, he's just really, really cool guy to know. So I'm going to have to make that introduction. Yeah, g- give me an intro. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, I just got a Christmas gift from e-commerce Chris, and it was honestly the coolest Christmas gift that I've ever gotten from That's anyone. Awesome. And so, you know, he's a good guy to know because he sends cool. really great Christmas gifts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, he's just a good guy too. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. Cool. He's a good friend of ours, but I'm going to have to make that. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to make yeah, an appreciate it because you got to know him. And especially with what you're working on, um, yes. because I spoke with, I spoke at Seller Velocity all about selling your private label products in retail stores and brick and mortar no way. and that was a big hit and so with the project you're working on that'll be good there we go <laughs> so you know let's just talk about pricing for a moment sure. on the private label side pricing mm-hmm. has actually become a thing it didn't yeah. used to become a thing 
but uh, or just didn't used to be a thing. Um, mm-hmm. But now Amazon is starting to do competitor research and yeah. starting to look at um, other like if you're selling on Walmart for you know whatever price, and then sure. you drop your Amazon price or you raise your Amazon price, um, you can get kind of a pricing violation alert, and this can sure. cause problems. The other thing with private label is if you change your price any more than 2% of the last buy box price and you're not using the sale field, you can lose the buy box to yourself. (laughs) People are like, but I'm the only one in the buy box. Insane. (laughs) Amazon doesn't care. They're going to put you in the other sellers category and people have to Mm -hmm. click other sellers. Um, So that's what's been going on in private yeah. label. So pricing is important in private label. And we can talk about that too, because I think there's a lot to talk about just for that. Yeah, let, I mean, let's talk about it. What have you seen on that yeah. side? So it, it's less about what I've seen and just more like what I've what I've noticed with a lot of sellers. So I've never done private label. So take everything I'm about to say with a grain of salt, please. <laughs> um, I know a lot of private label sellers that do it full time. And there's this interesting issue where people, somebody will say, I'm a private label seller. I don't fully know what that means sometimes because sometimes it can means you're building your own brand. It's good. Sometimes it means white labeling, meaning you took the exact same product and you threw your label on it. And that's like, there's no differentiation, right? So let's talk about that because that fundamental assumption is incredibly important. A brand exists. The term brand exists for a reason. That's why people pay other people for brand marketing it increases the perceived value. So here's what's interesting. You have, I think, a lot of people that are really doing white label. They're not really creating a company, a brand. And so- They're just picking a commodity product and they're slapping their label on it, which is white labeling an existing Mm -hmm. product. And suddenly you have many people competing for the same buy box. And And it's not even just that. It's like, now you're competing solely on price. And reviews. So here's an issue. Here's an issue. I, 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 I jumped on a podcast this morning talking literally about wholesale pricing strategy, right? You don't just sit down and say, okay, well, my cogs are this. I want to charge X and like, that's a cool gap. Like you need to think that through a little bit more strategically, especially if you want to go B2B. Now you got to factor in that, that margin hit, right? And that's okay. But I, what I find is a lot of people get a little too focused on the Amazon side and they basically create a brand that is overfit for Amazon. Yes. Right. And that becomes a problem. Look at a Anchor. Lot of Anchor don't started even on have Amazon. Margin for B2B. Correct. And you end up shooting yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. Right. Anchor started on Amazon and they did it right, but they also got off Amazon as well. Right. It wasn't just like I'm going to be on Amazon and like that's the whole shebang. I think that's a great launch thing, right? It's a great way to build a brand, get buzz. There's demand built in. You don't have to go build that out yourself. But here's the thing. When you, when you transition, when you shift over from white label to, let's not even call it private label. Let's just call it building a brand. That's really all you're doing. When you do that, you approach things completely different. It's like what I tell people with wholesale. When you just approach a brand and say, I want to give you money and buy your things and sell them. Good luck. When you approach it as a relationship and you go more deep into the business aspects of it, the game is different. You're playing a different game, right? So a lot of people say, oh, there's so many sellers on, on Amazon. It's saturated. No, it's not. There's a ton of sellers, but there's nobody really competing. It's a very small number. And right. we got to keep if that in mind. You can control your price because you're offering yes. something that 
a customer cannot get elsewhere. And that yeah. something matches mm-hmm. a pain point. And that something is something you can protect. You now yeah. own your price point and you own your strategy. Um, and yeah. you can build in the margin to be able to scale very yeah. quickly. You can position the the brand, the product, right? So I'll give you a great example. I just brought uh, brought or just bought a new dop kit. Cause I wanted something a little bit smaller. Cause I travel once a month and I'm like, I'm sick of packing a suitcase. I'm just going to do it all. It's a weekend trip. Anyways, I'm going to pack it into a, a briefcase. And I was looking and listen, there's, there's a ton of private label options on there that are 12 and 15 bucks. I paid 50. Why? Cause I went to, I found Bellroy, which is a brand. And I could tell that the quality was good and it felt like a brand, not just some, something somebody put up. It's different. I literally think about that as a consumer, I literally paid dramatically more money for a product. It's not, it's not cost anymore, right? It, that used to be the case. And I don't think it is anymore, but think about what that enables brand or uh, Bellroy to do. They can go wholesale. Now it probably costs them 15 bucks to manufacture. They're selling it at retail for 50. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A retailer will say, Hey, I'll, I'll buy it and I'll make a $20 profit on it. Cool. There's, they still have profitable margins, Right. So your pricing strategy, when you're, when you're talking about creating and bringing on a new product line needs to take a little bit more time. In my opinion, it, I, I see a lot of sellers when, when I ask, how do they approach it? They go, oh, I see the market. And then I see the price point. I'm like, ah, I get it logically, but I think you're missing the point a lot of times, right? It's not just, well, they seem to be around 20 bucks, but like, what could you do to make it worth 50 and people be excited for it? That's interesting, right? So, right. and you also have to be careful with that too, though, because sure, there's certain there's certain markets that um, that don't do well. If you're just because you're building a brand doesn't necessarily yeah. mean somebody's willing to pay thirty dollars more for your particular toiletry Correct. bag. Correct. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's very important to make sure that you are that you can actually meet that price. Yeah. And what I love to tell people is look at the market price. The 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 you know if I'm selling something that is you know a fancy coffee mug or something or a fancy water bottle whatever right and if I'm selling this I'm going to look at the market price for stainless steel really nice okay probably around twenty bucks for something like this right. And now I'm going to differentiate it in a way that matters to the customer and in a way that I can protect my brand and my price. And I'm going, I might go a little bit higher price, but what I want to do is I want to make it so easy for that customer to choose me. Yes, absolutely. I want them to go, oh my gosh, look at that. Yeah. It's almost the same price. It's just a little bit more, but it meets my need and it's a real brand, right? It's it's the value relative to what I'm paying, right? Exactly. If you That's want all the comes customer out to. <laughs> to feel like they got the yes. value that they paid for that product. So, you yeah. know, if if they're unboxing experience and they get it, you know, it's like that expectation versus reality thing. And you're yeah, like, exactly. Oh, what is this? It's terrible, sure. right? Um, yeah. So- I love it. And and how was your unboxing experience with Bellroy? Was it good? Honestly, it was great. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Honestly, it was fantastic. Like at no point was a, was I like, eh, I pay too much for this. I was like, that's about right. I'm not like ecstatic. It's a toiletry kit, right? But I'm I'm yeah. like, no, it's pretty that, that fits my needs. I'm good. Like, and I'm happy with it. And I'm glad I didn't get it something cheaper. 
because that's what I currently have. You but know, so I it, love it, that you bring that up though, in terms yeah. of pricing. I agree. Like so many people are, um, the other problem that I see people do with pricing, especially when they are white labeling or private labeling is they'll pay too much to the supplier. <laughs> yeah. So they're basically shopping on Alibaba, right? And they're reaching sure. out to all these suppliers and they're like, how much is it? That's not the conversation you want to have with a supplier. Um, yep. And then you're immediately telling that supplier that you're a noob and they're going to yeah. give you a no, crazy up. price because they're not going to expect to get a reorder from you. And you're going to pay this crazy price. And then I have people coming to me going, I hope I can sell it for $50. And I go, well, wait, this toiletry bag looks the same as this $12 one. What right. makes you think you're going to be able to sell it for 50 well, I don't know. I'm hoping I can do better photos. Yeah. Okay, hoping but the is not a strategy. Price is $12 for this type of toiletry bag, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the that's the other thing that I see people doing. So when you're when you're thinking about your pricing, you need to look at the market price, you need to look at yeah. the value you offer, you need to make sure it matters to the customer. And then you need to what we do in our program is divide by seven. And if oh, okay. we can't source that product at scale divided by seven, mm -hmm. then we go, mm, this is not the product for us, right? Unless it's a gotcha. more expensive product, then we'll go down to like a 5X, right? Makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. But that way we have that that built-in margin to not only Amazon margins now, like it's like 40% <laughs> for fees and everything else. It's crazy. Sure. So, But, but pause on that for a moment, right? So a lot of people complain about fees and listen, I get it. I've paid them a lot as well. My thing is like, it's, it's all about perspective, right? Like what you're really doing is you're giving Amazon a B2B commission to get you sales. That's all you're really doing. So it's like, if you look at, um, brand to retailer margins, it tends to be 40 to 60% yeah. of a, of a markup. Sounds about right. So actually it's on the, it's, a, it's actually on the cheaper end of what it would be if you go B2B. Yeah. But, but what's interesting is we have no no qualms about saying, oh, well, this retailer that's brick and mortar wants a 60% margin. Yeah, I'll pay that all day long. Wait, hold on. <laughs> There's no difference. The only difference right. is Amazon can command far more demand than your average retailer can. Yes. So well, your average it's perspective. Retailer, but they can't command as much demand demand as a major retailer. If you get oh god no. <laughs> Or, or yeah, Walmart totally different. on the shelf, like that's yep. life-changing money. That will make your oh, Amazon for sure. sales look like a penny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I talk to but brands. There's a lot to go to get there, right? We're not just going to start. 1,000%. We're going to yeah. start just like we did on Amazon with one product, one you know, one little market, you know, we're yep. going to start with one little brick and mortar retailer. Exactly. You know, one online retail, one small online retailer. Um, so I love that. Yeah. So as far as pricing goes on the, you know, you guys have the aura repricer, um, what's going on? I want to know what's going on sure. on the reseller side, because I've noticed that Amazon really is putting a, a premium on making sure that you're a registered brand. Like if you're not a registered brand on Amazon, your life mm -hmm. is hard. You can't advertise in half the places sure. you can't. And now they're starting to really lock down brands and make it very hard for resellers. Yeah. 
So what are you seeing in that market and how's that working? Yeah. So less on the, the brand registry side, more on, I mean, this is just everybody, but like the insurance side, I think everybody kind of got caught off guard where they're like, prove that you have insurance right now. Oh, and yeah. so there's a lot of anxiety, right? Or more in sales. Yeah, sure. So for us, the, the interesting thing is during COVID, the algorithm for the buy box kind of shifted. So you started to say, okay, well, people can't ship things into FBA. So that's a no-go. Merchant Fulfilled is an option. So we're going to prioritize Merchant Fulfilled. So we had a lot of sellers that were... Basically, what the strategy used to be is if you're FBA and the current buy box price is FBA, you would either match or reprice below by penny. We can talk about that um, and why that's not a bad thing. Um, <laughs> I know it's a misconception, but um, if, if, it, if it was merchant fulfilled, you would actually reprice above by two to 3% and you'd be able to pull the buy box up because technically you're a better offer based at least on the shipping time, right? Shipping and handling time. That changed though in COVID. I mean, most of our users transition from FBA to merchant fulfilled. And they're like, I can still offer two day shipping. I can't do it nationwide, obviously, but there is such thing as a regional buy box. Yes. We typically only see the one, like for us, because we're using the Amazon MWS API, we only see one buy box. There is no like concept of regional, but they exist. And so what's interesting is, um, a lot of sellers, once that started to shift back over in favor of FBA, once, once the logistics problem was, was kind of solved, started flooding inventory in. Well, why would you do that? You get more distribution, which means you get more access to regional buy boxes. So wholesale is a great example. If you're you know, moving, let's say hundred units a month on average, bump it to 150, 175. Most likely you'll find as, as long as you're going into new fulfillment centers, you get access to new um, regional buy boxes, which is super important, right? If you look at the algorithm there, it hasn't changed a ton. I mean, you know, the biggest thing that, that we recommend, and we've unfortunately had to tell a few users, Hey, like no repressing tool can help you right now because your seller feedback is so bad. Mm. Right. So repressing is a thing where it's not a silver bullet. Nothing ever is. It's a multiplier, right? So if you have amazing seller feedback, if you have, you know, good buy costs, if you have enough SKUs, it, it's a no brainer. It totally makes sense. And it's going to pay itself off within a few days. Yeah. But if you come in and you're like, I have two SKUs, <laughs> um, I overpaid on all of them. The buy box is below my buy cost. Um, and I have 20% seller feedback. Yeah. Can't do anything for you. You have deeper problems, right? So like yeah. most things in business, it comes down to the fundamentals, right? <laughs> like it's just getting like looking the fundamentals at where right. You can, where you can move the needle, right? Yes, um, absolutely. Okay. That makes sense. And then um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you, oh, Something that's really cool for private label sellers and mm -hmm. um, brand registered sellers is the pricing strategy that is a lot of fun is, you know, that big red banner that shows up over a price. Yes. That's when something is at its lowest price in 30 days. Okay. So if you guys want the banner over your, um, over your, sales, you can, and that can, that can sometimes make a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, just make sure you just lower the price slightly so that it's the lowest price in 30 days. Um, if you're going to lower the price more than 2% of the last buy box price, though, make sure that you're using the sale, um, the sales field in the offer tab of your listing so that you don't lose the buy box to yourself. Um, so that is, is something to think about in terms of, of, pricing. Um, we talked about wholesale pricing, like leaving enough margin, how you should think about pricing your products in the market. Awesome. 
Anything else about pricing um, that we should know before we move on to adding a B2B channel? Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.